Baptist church. What do you say? <laughs> Amen. Psalm 144 as a text tonight. We're going to continue with our study. The Lord, I was working this afternoon, and the Lord stepped into my office at home, and I had me a little shout down this afternoon uh, in between meetings. <laughs> they don't know what's going on in between those meetings, but um, no, I, I honestly, I felt like the Lord drew me to prayer, so I spent about an hour and a half in prayer this afternoon for the service tonight, and um and the Lord met with me in a special way. So I have no, there's no telling what God will do before we leave this place tonight. God is capable of meeting needs, healing bodies, and every, everything that you need. You could bring it to the Lord and he can help you tonight. Amen. I'm, I'm anxious to see what the Lord will do. Amen. Psalms chapter 144. We've been using this as a text. We'll see how far we can get. I figure I probably shouldn't share my number of pages of notes. Uh, that's, I, don't, I don't think that's helping me any, so um, we'll just go as far as we can. Now, my goal, I said last week, was to get done this, week, this evening, and uh, that's possible. The Lord can still perform miracles. So, Psalm 144, verses 1 through 2 says, A Psalm of David, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer. My shield and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. The Lord teaches my hands to war. And then Psalm chapter 18, verse 34 says, He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. We're on lesson six of spiritual warfare tonight. Why don't you lay down your Bibles and ask the Lord to anoint my lips? anoint my mind, but also to anoint your ears and anoint your mind to receive the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us throughout the remainder of this service. God, I pray that you would help me, God, to share, God, to express, Lord, the mind of the Holy Ghost, God, as I understand it, God. Lord, I am feeble. I am weak, God. But, Lord, you are strong. You are able, Lord, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. Jesus, I rely heavily on you, Savior. I trust you, God. Your word is Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You could be seated tonight if you promise to help me. Amen. Waiting for 100% participation over here. <laughs> I'll wait all night, Sister Nelson. <laughs> and if if we have to, if I do, then that hey, that's a cheat code. I, you just figured out a cheat code. You can just get out of here. But anyway, okay, I should stop. I need to get focused. That's what I need to do. But um, I'm going to try to forego the belabored review. I, I've attempted in each service to summarize our previous lessons. Sometimes I've succeeded. Sometimes I've failed. And so tonight, I'm going to attempt again, but um, to, to just bring to your memory the, some of the things that we've talked about that I think are important for us to go a little bit further tonight. So if you'll bear with me, we talked in our introductory uh, part of this series about Rephidim and Amalek, and how many remember who Amalek is and Rephidim? Woohoo, good. That's, that's a good sign. Everybody's listening. And uh, at least... At least uh, to that part. <laughs> that was the first part, though. But, um, but so Rephidim is a place of rests, and it was a place immediately after they had left the, the country of bondage for, for them as slaves. And Amalek came to them, and in their vulnerable state, after they had left the, the nation of Egypt as slaves, and they entered into Rephidim, into this place of staying, this place of rest. And Amalek attacked them there. And jo Joshua was instructed by Moses to choose out uh, men who are qualified to, to go to battle against Amalek. And we read in Scripture how Joshua and the men of Israel discomfited Amalek. 
and they overthrew them in that battle, in that particular battle. And they, they vanquished him. That's, that word discomfort means to, to vanquish. They, they, completely, they completely won that battle, but, but the Bible uh, in that definition of that word uh, indicates to us that they didn't completely eradicate the, the Amalek race, that the Amalek family, that they were still uh, around. And you can read in later portions of the Old Testament where Amalek comes back to revisit the Israelites. But this was their first battle. This was their, their uh, inaugural battle as a child of God, as the children of God in the wilderness. And on their trek, on their way to the promised land. And uh, I've heard Pastor use this illustration in the past, but the promised land is really a type of the church. It is, some have preached, and I have even preached, that promised land is a, is a type of heaven. But I've heard Pastor clarify that the promised land is, is here on earth, and it is, it is the, the, the place, it's a t- typification of the church. It's the safe place from, from all of the strangers and all of those enemies who are around in the wilderness. It's that safe place in the wilderness. That's what the promised land is flowing with milk and honey. Everything that you need, everything that you uh, desire from the Lord and more God can give you. He still owns the thousand on the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He can supply your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Talked about uh, the art of war by the general, uh, the Chinese general Sun Tzu, and he talked and he identified some essentials for winning. And we picked out a few of those that we have used as a basis for uh, for a scriptural study. Now, uh, the first one we talked about was knowing when to fight. Uh, the maxim that Sun Tzu uh, coined is, "He will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight." Amen. We will waste a lot of energy if we, if we fight every battle. We need to choose our battles. And the, the, we also talked about the unity of the Spirit and how it's essential for all of the army, all of the people of God to be operating by the same Spirit. We need the unity of the Spirit in every service. And, and as you can testify to and as I can testify to, that the more that we seek out the Spirit of God, the closer we come to Him and the closer we come to one another. And the more He is able to accomplish what He intends to do in each each and every service. Amen. We're not playing games when we come to the house of God. Amen. This is an eternal enterprise. This is a a permanent uh, solution for for all of mankind. This is not a temporary uh, form of religion, but to all who will, uh, Apostle Peter said, uh, amen, they should come uh, and they will, amen, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices. Amen. The enemy thinks he's smart, but he's not smart enough. Amen. Scripture, amen, illuminates for us. Amen. All of the important uh, tactics and all of the things that we need to know. And the Bible actually tells us that we ought to know these things. That we shouldn't go um, ignorantly into this battle, but we should take caution and take care and, and uh, and know what the enemy is and what he's doing. And so we spent some time identifying the enemy last week. Talked about principalities and, and how these, uh, this level of in the enemy's army receives and executes assignments and tasks from those above them. And then we talked about powers, which I, I, I listened back last week and um, just to, to hear where I ended off because I didn't make note last, at the end of last week. And I heard how much um, I emphasized the local and governing legal authorities in this section of the lesson. And I want to be clear that I, I, I don't want to confuse you that it's necessarily uh, legal or governing authorities. It's not. It's, I was using those scriptural examples with the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and Pilate and these others to indicate that the, the enemy can, can get a stronghold in those positions in a local, in a local uh, governing authority. But 
That's not the only way he does it. Many times, and I mentioned this last week, but I don't think I emphasized it clearly enough, but, but we need to understand that many times the enemy operates through, uh, through social initiatives. Not, and I, Please, I'm, I'm not trying to sound kooky or weird. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand that it's not necessarily a formal structure of authority, but that spirit certainly has those uh, those principalities underneath them that can execute those assignments and tasks. And so uh, perhaps a better way of saying that the, these powers are strategic authorities in the spiritual realm. They, 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 um, they in some cases are represented in local governing authorities, but they don't have to be. They maintain spiritual command over principalities, if that makes sense. I hope that clarifies a little bit. But beyond that, we talked at the final portion of last week's lesson about the rulers of the darkness of this world. And, and when we talked about the powers and authorities, uh, and spiritual authorities, we talked about the spirit, uh, the, the, the power of darkness, how it took over the chief, the chief priests and took over the captains of the temple. And this is the same concept that Paul is attaching this message to in Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about about the rulers of the darkness of this world. They maintain uh, spiritual authority over geographic areas and over uh, 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 ages and, and, and times throughout history. Uh, and and the, the examples that I gave you was the prince of Persia, the kingdom of Persia. There was a time when Persia was the dominating uh, governing force in the world. And so uh, and, and Daniel was, was living during that time, and he was in captivity during that time. And when he prayed and he fasted, uh, the, the spirit, the angel that God sent to him said, I was contending, I was fighting with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And then he said, when the kingdom of Persia, when the prince of Persia will leave, then the prince of Grisha will come. And so it is, also, it is uh, tied or, or associated or correlated to a geographic region, but it is more than that. It's a spirit of an age, if you will. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spirit. If you look at the Greek, uh, the spirit behind that is materialism and Hellenism and, and knowledge over, over truth and and philosophy and all the and vain deceits that exist. That's the spirit of that's the prince of Grisha. Hallelujah. But I shared with you last week and by using story of Pergamos in Revelation chapter 3 where the Bible shares with us that even the, sat, the seat of Satan, it had gotten so dark, the powers of darkness had achieved such stature in the city of Pergamos that the Bible says that Satan himself dwelt there. Amen. But because of the people of God and their faithfulness to God and their faithfulness to to the name of Jesus, uh, they had victory. They had they had the liberty over those spirits, even Satan himself, Brother Hall. Hallelujah. So I'm here to tell somebody tonight, it doesn't matter how dark it gets. doesn't matter how long those spirits have been entrenched. It doesn't matter if it's decades or centuries or years or months. Amen. But you can see victory over every kind, every, over every manifestation of the enemy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And when we ended last week, we... We, um, we failed to cover the final, um, the final category, if you will, of, of spiritual uh, wrestling, to use Paul's term. So we'll start there. I'm going to skip a few scriptures, Sister, Sister Lydia. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is the final category that Paul shares with us in his epistle to the Ephesians. What is spiritual wickedness in high places? The, the definition of the term spiritual is um, very complicated. It's very profound. It's it is belonging to a spirit. 
But I want you to notice the, the full definition here. So we, we understand the concept of, of, of this spiritual wickedness, but this is belonging to a spirit or a being higher than men, but inferior to God. These spirits, I think it's important for us to understand that, that, that the spirit world, they are higher than us. They have more stature than us, but they are below God. And the Bible confirms this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, when it was describing the man Christ Jesus. It says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. And that word spiritual in the previous scripture that we were just referring to is identifying the same entity that is described in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. And so Jesus, not his authority, not his power, his power is far above all. We've talked about that. His, his power is above all, every principality, every power. But the man Christ in his flesh, when Jesus became man, he subjected himself beneath the angels. Suffering death, crowned with the glory and honor, and that he might, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And, and so, this is saying that the man Christ Jesus in his flesh was lower than the angels. Amen. This is, and, and so by, we, can, we can learn from that. We can understand that we, we're not any better than Jesus. If Jesus was lower than the angels, then we must be lower than the angels in our flesh. Amen. But the spirit that dwells within us, the grace of God that dwells within us, is the thing that gives us victory over every spirit. Amen. Amen. This, is, uh, this categorizes both bad and good spirits. We've, we talked about the differences there and and I'm a simple guy. I was trying to make a joke, I think, and I think it went over everybody's head. Not because it was profound or anything, but I think because it was such a dumb joke that <laughs> it wasn't any funny. It wasn't very funny. But um, but even the bad. So so in this scripture, this the term spiritual is referring to angels, just generally bad and good. But when when Paul goes on and inserts the next word. He said spiritual wickedness. So he identifies the, that it is not just any spirit, but not just not the angels. But So we're not wrestling against the angels of God, but the angels that we are wrestling against, the spirits that we are wrestling against are wicked spirits. And, um, and we need to understand what Paul is trying to share with us in this passage, he, he lets us know where these spirits reside. I, I'm g- getting somewhere. Please just bear with me for a bit. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. The word places there is italicized. And we know from pastors many lessons that italic words are not there. So really what it's saying is spir- uh, against spiritual wickedness in high. Or the word there is actually heavenly or heavenly regions. So what does that mean? Is there, are there bad spirits in heaven? No, that's not what it means. When you look closer at the word, the, the word that is translated as high places in our English Bibles is the heavenly regions, the lower heavens, or heaven of the clouds. So in other words, this is the literal sky. When you step outside of those doors and you see the firmament, the 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 atmosphere that contains the clouds. This is the heavenly region that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. The the air above our heads, if you will. Amen. We have talked about this already in the past how the devil is the prince and the power has is the prince of the power of the air. And we'll read that in just a second, but I want you to put that together in your mind that these are operating amen and these are these are in literally literal i believe literally and i could be completely wrong this is where we get moved from doctrine to jared's opinion and pastor can correct me when i if i'm wrong here but but and i'm sure he will if i'm wrong but i believe literally that there is a class of the enemy that that are not on assignment that are uh, that are wandering to and fro in the earth, that are 
that are not in any position at all. They, they don't fall into any of these other categories. They're not, they're not operating with tasks or assignments as a principality. They're, they're not in any position of, uh, of authority with having those under them. They're not rulers of, of a geographic or a, a point in time. So these are ones who are without assignment. These are just spirits that are in the high places. Jesus said... In Luke chapter 11, verse 24, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return to my house whence I come out, came out, and when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and, and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than themselves, and they entered in and dwelt. There and the last state of that man is worse than the first. I think Jesus is giving us a little insight here to, to his disciples and to us, those of us who will pay attention, that, that when a spirit, when the spirit of God comes in and exercises his authority over a, a, a spirit of hell, then that spirit by obligation, because he's under authority, because he has to, has to leave and he goes out. And if he has no assignment, then he's wandering around. He's looking around. And, and, and Brother Hall, he'll link up with some other spirits if, if he can find some. And, and I mentioned this in the past, but it's important that we understand that these spirits, uh, no matter how much they want you to believe this, they are not omnipresent. The only spirit that is omnipresent is God. The only spirit that is omnipotent or all-powerful is God. No matter what the enemy tries to convince you of, they are restricted. They are limited by God's own power and authority. Amen. And they can only operate amen, within the places that God permits them to operate. Hallelujah. So when they go out of a man, they only have certain areas. This is why the, when the demoniac of Gadara, we, I, 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 there's so much information in the scripture about this stuff that we could spend literally weeks. We have sp spent weeks, but even more on some of this. But when the demoniac of Gadara ran to Jesus and those, the, the legion that was within him, the, the many, many, many spirits. I don't know how many times this man went through this cycle where he was liberated. Perhaps he made his, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change my habits. And then over a course of time, Amen. More spirits came and more spirits came and, and then he found himself completely out of control. Amen. Nobody wanted to talk to him. Amen. He was relegated to the graveyards. He was relegated, amen, to the stony places, distant and far from all of society. Amen. But Jesus, Brother Hall, amen, he went the distance. He went all the way, amen, to where the demoniac was, where nobody else would go. Amen. Where nobody else else would spend time. Amen. Brother Jaheim, he talked with him. Amen. He went to him. And the enemy, the spirits that bound him said, Amen, don't send us to that place. They understood who had the authority, amen, that day. They understood where they stacked up, amen, in authority to that, to that man who just stepped off of the boat onto the shore. Amen, that's why the demoniac, no matter how many, amen, devils had in him, amen, they all had to bow to Jesus. They said, don't send us. Let us go over here. Let us do this. I mean, don't send us to the, the place of torment before our time. God has the power and the authority to do that. He can transcend all of time. Amen. Somebody hear me tonight. God is not relegated to any form of limitation. Hallelujah. God has all power. He said, I have all power in heaven and in earth and under the earth. I have all power. Amen. If I speak it, it's going to happen. Amen. That's the kind of God that we serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I mean, even if you're like the demoniac, amen, fully possessed, fully controlled by spirits, amen, out of this world, amen, then even you are subject to God's power. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's try to get a little further. Jude, uh, verse 12 says, These are spots in your feasts of charity. Spend a little time here in Jude for a minute. 
when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Notice what he says here. He says, clouds they are without water. Let me ask you, what is a cloud worth if it doesn't carry any water? Trees without, whose fruit withereth, who, without fruit. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. What is a tree worth if it doesn't have any fruit? I guess you can have some shade. Amen. But Jesus, uh, sorry, Jude, the, the apostle Jude is trying to, I think, help us understand. If you read the context, we don't have time tonight to read the entire chapter of Jude, the entire book of Jude, verse, the first chapter. I, I, I was wondering this afternoon as I was preparing, I was like, what if Jude wrote a second chapter? Like, what? If, if Jude had written a second chapter, I don't know if I could contain myself. The power and the, the, the surety that is in this, these few scriptures, there is no question in Jude's mind who's in control. And there ought to be no question in our mind. Hallelujah. He said, uh, he's, he's, he identifies, and so why, why did I bring the scripture out? He's, he's talking about these are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Let's, let's get a little context here. Let's back up to verse 3. Jude is addressing certain men who have crept in unaware. Jude chapter 1 verse 3 says, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. We'll come back to that one in a little bit. Which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unaware. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Denying the, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Notice what he says in verse 6. This is Jude chapter 1, verse 6. It says, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. How many of you remember that scripture? We read it a couple of weeks ago. That scripture uh, the, the, the writer here is, is telling us that there are certain men crept in unawares. And they were before ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Says, I will therefore put you in remembrance that though you once knew this. How that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Afterward destroyed them that believed not. All this is important. I'm, I'm going to try to help. Uh, I hope I can clarify this. Verse 6 it says, and the angels which kept not the first estate. Jude is, is drawing I, a parallel here. Between these men who had, who had were before uh, subscribed to what he refers to uh, the this condemnation, the old order of things, the Old Testament, if you will. And these certain men crept in to the church. They crept in to the, 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 the New Testament church. And they're trying to pervert and try to revert, if you will, all of the doctrines, all of the things that are being said. And then he goes on he, and he compares it to the children of Israel who left Egypt by God's delivering power. And then he said uh, that those who did not believe... In that, in that particular context that he destroyed them. that The ones that he didn't believe. And then he goes on to say uh, uh, this in this third parallel, verse 6, that the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitations, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of, this, of the great day. Seems to me that Jude is trying to provide a correlation for us. Us, uh, that that those who were once a part of the kingdom of God that have now fallen to uh, to those angels who were in a, a former state that were that were above but now are no longer above they are beneath and and so it seems and you can correct me if I'm wrong here but I believe that those that have fallen those who have walked away knowing the truth uh, amen those uh, are more susceptible amen to these spirits because they have the same motivation they have 
have the same desire. They have the same end goal. Jude is very clear that they will be destroyed in, in each category, whether it's the, 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 what he refers to as the condemnation, the old law, or, or those who were, that were, came out of Egypt and, and, and didn't believe and were destroyed, or if they were the, the spirits, the angels that were in their former estate, uh, they, after they left their habitation, they would be destroyed. And so he gives us a clue as to how we should identify these. He says, likewise, these filthy dreamers, keep in mind the context, defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, by contrast, he says, let me, let me drive that point home before I, I do this contrast, that in verse 8 he says, these ones, the ones that I just went through and described the parallel, the, the one, these, these spirits, these people that are driven by these spirits, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, they des- despise authority, they despise uh, uh, of governance, and then, and then they speak evil of dignities. That word uh, dignities is literally the majesty of God. They, they speak evil of the majesty of God. These are, these are the ones that they, they, have, they have no fear for God. They have, no, they have no interest in pleasing God. They have no desire to please God. That's how they can fall so far. That's how they can leave, uh, go through the Red Sea and, and still not believe. That's how, they can, that's how they can live for God, be filled with the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues and walk away and, and live like devils. Hallelujah. Amen. I, we're not going to spend too long here, so just bear with me for just a moment. But, but he compares these people who, who, who uh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Verse 9, he says, yet, Michael the archangel, he, and, and the passage that we read last week in Daniel, he calls him the chief of princes. Michael, the chief of princes, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against the devil a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Verse 10, but these spake evil, and then he's flipping back to the other. He goes, but these, the, 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 the filthy dreamers, the, defile, the defilers of the flesh, these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Amen. Why am I bringing all this up? I just want you to understand that even Michael, the archangel, the, the chief of princes spiritually, amen, even he does not have the authority over Lucifer. But God does. Jesus does. When Jesus came to earth, uh, he overthrew the kingdom of Satan. Hallelujah. Amen. Who are we to think that we can go? Amen. Brother, Brother Nelson, I've heard, amen, as I was growing up, I've, I've heard various men doing things that, honestly, based on my understanding now, I would be a little bit concerned about those activities. Because they are assuming more authority than Michael the archangel. But if we can position ourselves within God's authority, understand that we were just saved by the blood of Jesus, that we were blood-bought, and that's where our authority comes from. And because of his blood, Sister Bonnie, amen, we've got victory over the most powerful, over the, the enemy, over Satan himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say in this passage, after verse 10, after this, uh, after the passage that we just read, in this context, Jude says, these are spots in your feasts of charity. When When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. It's this braggadocious, this, this arrogant, this, 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 uh, this foolish attitude of these people that they feed themselves without fear. And then he describes them as clouds without water. Whether spiritual or human, these are operating with the power of darkness. Amen. And for these, there is reserved 
chains in darkness forever. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. When, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We didn't even realize it, Brother Nelson. We didn't know that we were subject to that power, that we were living by that power and that the power of darkness. But when he saved us, hallelujah, he delivered us from the prince of the power of the air hallelujah it doesn't matter amen what magistrates or principalities or powers exist in this earth our God is so much greater hallelujah hallelujah Amen. We read, I'm going to skip a little bit here tonight for the sake of time, but we can read in the story of Job and gain a little bit more insight. It's clear that even Satan himself was at a point, uh, amen, without assignment. In Job chapter 1, verse 7, Job chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord, in both cases said, From going to and fro in the earth. Don't have an assignment, Lord. And even when he came to the Lord and the Lord gave him an assignment, he said, did you consider Job? Did you, did you see Job at all? And because the Lord knew that Job can handle. We talked about that. You can go back to a previous lesson. But I want you to understand, amen, the ways that the enemy attacks the people of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, that the, unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. The word buffet means to maltreat, to treat with violence, or uh, uh, I believe contemptuously. I think I've got a typo here. But, but to, so in some cases, it could just be making fun of them verbally. Just, just um, being rude or uh, being like a bully. But in other cases, it can, it can escalate to certain violence. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67, we read where the Lord himself was buffeted. Verse, 20, uh, verse 67 says, Then did they spit in his face and buffet him, buffeted him. And others smote him with the palm of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who, he, who is he that smote thee? And then uh, Bishop Howard has made this statement. These spirits attack us continually. And, and for this end, to this end, to cause feelings of depression or anxiety or pride or lust or resentfulness, jealousy, rebellion, insecurity, doubt, and fear. This is what these buffeting spirits' end goal is. They want us to question our authenticity in, in the spirit, to, to question our authenticity, our new birth's authenticity, whether or not we are indeed a child of God. Hallelujah. Or for us to, uh, to grow in a pride or an arrogant way or, or uh, to, to assume that we have more authority. Amen. As I have heard and as I indicated just a minute ago in my own lifetime. Uh, amen. We got to be careful. We don't need, uh, amen, to go, uh, amen, on our own authority. We need to be sure that we're operating within the authority of God's word. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Amen. These buffeting spirits can move, uh, amen, to a form of infirmity. There are spirits that attack uh, spiritual for, uh, in spiritual or physical infirmity. Luke chapter 13, verse 11. Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. It was bowed together and could, no wise, uh, could in no wise lift up. Uh, Matthew 9, 33 says that as well. Mark chapter 9, verse 18. And then in, uh, in addition to that, not only would we have spirits that buffet us, not only do we have spirits that uh, cause infirmity in our life, but we also, uh, uh, the, those spirits that, that are, are going to and fro, uh, it's possible that they find possession, they find a home, they find a location that they can dwell. Mark chapter 5, verse 15, uh, Mark, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, and Acts chapter Chapter 6, verse 16 are uh, three citations of this, uh, this happening within the, the pages of God's word. Amen. But and, and this, again, this is no comprehensive uh, overview of this. I'm sure there are, there are other forms of attack that, that I haven't even touched on tonight. But I want you to understand, uh, amen, that it doesn't matter what angle the enemy comes at you with. Uh, amen. That God has all power. 
Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost coming on me, right? Amen. I'm telling you, amen, truth church, we don't have to back up one iota. We don't have to hesitate one moment. Amen. We ought to walk, amen, and step by faith. Hallelujah. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about the enemy. Isaiah 14, verse 12, just so you know who we're talking about. He says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nation, the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Hallelujah. There's no question who Isaiah is talking about in this passage. But listen to what he says. He says, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the Hallelujah. Amen. I hear in my ears, brother, brother Nelson. Amen. Brother Alberton saying and laughing with a with a smirk and a chuckle. He ain't nothing. He ain't nothing. He ain't nothing. Hallelujah. Amen. I feel like uh, Jesus did when he approached Pilate. Don't you know uh, that the power that you have uh, is given to you uh, by God above? Uh, You wouldn't be standing here, devil. You're living on God's time. Hallelujah. I want to tell him in the enemy in this city. Amen. You're living on God's time. The true church is going to overcome every spirit and every devil, no matter what form or manifestation. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as he fell from heaven like lightning. Hallelujah. I could just imagine uh, old Satan, uh, that old dragon, uh, that Lucifer, amen, shaking in his boots, uh, saying, don't send me uh, before my time. Don't send me uh, before my time. Amen. I know the only reason I have uh, the ability to do anything in Olathe is because God is allowing me to. Amen. But not for long, Satan. God is going to give the true church victory. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just wonder, amen, what God would like to do in this place tonight. Amen, I've got nine more pages of notes, amen, but I don't have to get to those notes. Amen, if God wants to give us liberty or breakthrough in this service tonight, amen, I want to be open to what God wants. Hallelujah. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Amen. What are you waiting for? What are you hesitating for? Amen. You're, amen, among the brethren, among the children of God. Hallelujah. Be strong. Don't be weak. Well, this is simple. I know this is not... This is not very profound. This is not very complicated. Hallelujah. Why do we let the enemy push us over? Why do we let the enemy intimidate us? Furthermore, why do we let others intimidate us? Amen. When we know that we're living for God, that we're trying our best to please him. Amen. Friend, your righteousness are as filthy rags. Amen. You'll never do enough good to please God. So stop trying, amen, to do it by your works. Amen. Don't neglect to obey the commands of God. Amen. But operate and walk in faith hallelujah hallelujah the weapons of our warfare not carnal but they're mighty hallelujah 
to the tearing down of the rulers of the wickedness of principalities of power. Oh, come on, let's just give the Lord some praise right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's try to go a little bit further. We've got a few minutes here. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We've been using kind of as, a, as an auxiliary text in this last couple of weeks. Sun Tzu said, he will win who prepared himself. Who prepared himself. Waits to take the enemy unprepared. We've been talking about the enemy, who he is. We've been talking about the devil's devices, what he does. Amen. But I haven't even scratched the surface on spiritual preparation, on spiritual warfare. We talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about spiritual living and spiritual walking. And we started to kind of scratch the surface here, but, but there's so much more. Let's talk about it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. And the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. He didn't say put on the shoes. He didn't say put on the breastplate. Let's pick the ones that you like or you're most skilled in. No, he said put on the whole armor of God. Why? Why do we need to put on the whole armor? Because that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He didn't just say it once. We, we could skip verse 12, get down to verse 13. It says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. He says again, take unto you the whole armor of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. God's not going to send us out there ill-prepared. He's going to give us everything that we need. Amen. He's come tonight to equip some of us. Amen. If you're willing to put it on, if you're willing to take it on, amen, God's got it available for you tonight. He's got victory. Amen. Just as soon as you put on that armor, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Hallelujah. If we're willing, if we, if you, if I am willing, thank you to everyone today who committed and followed through on your fast. Amen. That We had no tie or, or anything at all, but it was just a message from Bishop. And he said, hey, send this out to the church. And many of you, amen, and I appreciate it. Amen, got under the burden of that. Amen, that's why we've been having such great church lately. Not necessarily just tonight, but in every service. Because, uh, amen, you're willing. You're willing to take on the armor of God. You're willing, amen, to go into the battlefield. You're willing to draw the sword. Amen, even if you don't feel. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You don't understand, uh, amen, the strength that you give, uh, amen, to your brother and your sister. You don't, I'm telling you, you don't understand, uh, amen, you don't realize, uh, amen, the power, amen, that you wield, uh, amen, through the Spirit. Hallelujah. I mean, we can't win this battle on our own. We need to be unified in the Holy Ghost. We need to be subject to God together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We got so much to cover. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. The armor of God is what gives us the power to withstand and also to stand. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13. Let's read it again. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Paul advises the Ephesians that the armor of God is what enables us uh, to withstand amen, the evil attacks of the enemy. The word withstand means to set against, to set oneself against, to withstand, to resist, uh, or to oppose. This doesn't mean laying down. This doesn't mean that, well, I'm tired. It doesn't mean that I put up with this for too long. It's never going to change. And so, lay it down. No. Withstand. Withstand. Jude wrote in verse 3, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful. For me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend. You know what that word contend means? It means to wrestle. It means to fight. And Jude and Paul were like that. They were just, they were helping each other out. They were helping us out. Earnestly contend, fight for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We need to withstand. We need to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Amen. I could spend more time, but we've got to move on. Not only will the armor of God allow us to withstand the enemy, but Pastor pointed out in his lesson on uh, learning to make war that it also gives us the ability to stand, not just fight but to make a stand. Not just defense, but offense. Staking your flag in the ground. I'm, this is my property. This is my ground. You can't take this, devil. This is my victory. This is my revival. This is my city. <laughs> Oh, hallelujah. Amen. If all we're doing is withstanding, amen, that the enemy is pushing us back, amen. But I wonder if there's anybody that's willing to take a stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The word to stand means to overcome. The Greek word means to work out, to affect, to produce, or work up, to make an end of, or to vanquish. According to Robinson. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This set in the context of warfare, as Paul has certainly done it in our text, in, in this auxiliary text that we're using tonight. Amen. Paul is, is certainly trying to convey, amen, an attitude of warfare, of battling in the spirit. And, and so with that in mind, amen, those who overcome or vanquish all of their foes, not just a few, amen, but all of those who would rise up against them to stand firm, come what may, come hell or come high water, I'm going to stand for what is right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The armor of God gives us the spiritual tooling that is necessary to both withstand and to stand. Firstly, he gives us the girdle of truth. In Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The belt, according to Barnes, uh, is an important part of their dress in war as well as in peace. They wore loose, flowing robes, and it became necessary to gird them up when they traveled or ran or labored. The girdle was the, was the place where they carried their money, where they carried their sword, their riding instruments, and, and so on. It was designed to keep every part of the armor in its place and to gird the soldier on every side. I mean, this is why I go to the truth church. Amen. I so that I can be girded about with truth. Amen. I, I don't want to walk out onto the battlefield amen, ungirded. Hallelujah. Without sure footing, Sister, Sister Nelson. Amen. Without amen, direction. Hallelujah. Without a clear mind. Hallelujah. With those lies pervading my mind. I want truth. Hallelujah. That's what I believe 
uh, David was writing about when he failed to go to war. He said in, in Psalm 51 verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. It's the thing that, that secures me. It's the thing, amen, that, that, that cinches everything down. Everything that would be loose and flowing. Amen. It's the truth that grounds us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He then goes on to say that we should have on the breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 again. This word, this word righteous is the state of him who is such as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, uprightness, correct in thinking, feeling, and acting. It's not just knowing truth, but it's living truth. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just having the knowledge, amen, but it's doing it. Amen, it's drawing the sword. Amen, it's living righteously. Amen, in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Moving on, Ephesians 6, verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. The, the word peace is a state of national tranquility. As in a war. It's as if we were going out onto the battle having already won the war. Carrying, walking in the gospel of peace. Don't forget to put those shoes on. Don't forget to put those shoes on because if you go out there and the peace is not with you, then you'll get scared. You'll run. You'll turn and you'll turn your back on the enemy. Amen. And that's your most vulnerable position. But if you don't forget to put on, amen, the gospel of peace, good news. Hallelujah. It'll, it'll bring you comfort. Uh, amen. A peace that passes all understanding. Amen. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. Hallelujah. John 16, verse 33. Jesus said, These things have I spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You might be going through something. Amen. You might, be, you might be battling something. But friend, don't forget the gospel of peace. He's already overcome the enemy. Hallelujah. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts. Ephesians 6 verse 16. The phrase above all does not mean that the shield of faith is more important than any of the others. It means in front of all. Or, uh, or uh, I, I'm, I'm failing to, to quote it here. Um, Dr. Brown said that the phrase above all does not signify importance, but rather a means overall and in covering everything else. That's what the shield of faith is for. This is not faith that God will heal or faith that God will deliver. It's faith that God is there. It's trusting God. That he's never going to leave you nor forsake you, even in the battlefield. That he's there. That's how you quench the fiery darts. You know that he loves you. He clothes you more than the lilies of the field. When those doubts come, and, and notice that it's not just fiery darts of Satan or spirit world, but it says of the wicked in general. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a banker. Maybe it's some, some, a doctor. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody else. But if those fiery darts are flying your way, if you've got the shield of faith, you will be able to quench those fiery darts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's this confidence, Pastor mentioned, in learning to make war that will enable us to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All of them, not just a few of them. We've got to maintain our faith. We've got to earnestly contend for the faith. Hallelujah. Amen. I know it's getting late. Uh, we've got just a few minutes here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Was, uh, let me back up to verse uh, the, the helmet of salvation. This is the hope of future salvation. The helmet that we wear, that we put on the battlefield, is the promise that Jesus is coming back. That he's coming for his church. 
And that we won't have to live eternity out on this battlefield. But one day we are going to be home with him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all of, we are of all men most miserable. But we've got a better hope, not just in this life. Titus 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming to save us. Don't take that helmet of salvation off. Amen. Don't let the enemy dissuade you or convince you that he's... that. That it's been too long. Amen. Amen. It's been too long since I've heard a message on the soon coming of the Lord. Maybe I need to preach one. I don't know. We'll see. Amen. <clears throat> sword of the Spirit is the final part of the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. So take the helmet of, the, helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Sword of the Spirit is our offensive tool that allows us to go on offense against the enemy. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When Jesus battled the devil in the wilderness, the manner by which he overcame the enemy was through the word of God. Every time the enemy tempted him, Every time de the devil, amen, asked him to do something that he knew was wrong, Jesus responded with, it is written. I've got those scriptures for you, Matthew 4, verse 4, 6 through 7, and verse 10. Amen. But that's not, and Sister Tori, come up here and let's promise them that we're going to end. Ephesians, verse, Ephesians verse 6, verse, sorry, chapter 6, verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. This is where I, I wanted to conclude. I'm surprised we made it this far. Amen. But uh, can you back up to verse 17, Sister Lydia? <clears throat> may take her a minute. She got it. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What, what comes up after God there? It's a colon. So what that means is it's going to explain. He's going to explain what the purpose of the armor of God is for. This is all a run-on sentence. Paul was really good at doing that. But verse 18, he says, this is what the armor of God is for. Sister Marissa, he gave you all of these things for this purpose, to pray. This is how we use it. This is how we use the helmet of salvation. This is how we use the sword of the Spirit. This is how we use the, the gospel of peace. This is how we leverage the armor of God is through our prayer, and not just one prayer or a little prayer before we go to sleep. But, but Paul said praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching there unto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's uh, go on just a little bit further. Jesus made it clear to his disciples that prayer was an essential part of spiritual warfare. And then Matthew 17, verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. The child was cured from the very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Why didn't we get the victory, Jesus? Why couldn't we overthrow this one? Verse 19, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Oh. Hey guys, disciples, you need to find a prayer closet. You need to spend some time in consecration. 
You need to go put on the armor of God. That's why you couldn't overthrow it. You weren't working in the spirit. You were doing it in your flesh. But the moment you take on <laughs> that glorious armor of God, amen, no principality or power or spirit in earth below, amen, could resist you. That's why he said in Luke 18, 8, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't ever stop praying. Daniel, amen, when he was praying, he didn't stop, amen, until Michael, uh, until Gabriel came to him and said, hey, I'm coming. I've been fighting for you. Why? Because Daniel was praying and praying consistently. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything, but in everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all stand together. Ephesians 6, 18, he says, pray always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit. Watching thereunto, watching unto your prayers, watch thereunto with all perseverance. When Jesus was on the earth and he was talking to his disciples, nearly every time he told them to watch, he was telling them to watch until the end. Don't stop until the end. Amen. You, somebody needs to hear what I'm telling you tonight. That it doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter how many times you have prayed the prayer. Hallelujah. You need to persevere. You need to get on your knees one more time. You need to pray again until the end, just like Daniel, until the answer came. Amen. Until God responds to your prayer. Do you believe Him or not? Do you believe His Word or not? If the answer to that simple question is yes, yes I believe, then friend, the only answer is to keep praying. Go back to the armory. Amen. Take on the helmet of salvation. Amen. Take out the shield of faith. Take out the sword. My God, let's lift our hands to the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to the Lord right now. Ooh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hey, I'm telling you, this is a reason some of you have been struggling. I mean, it's simple. It's not complicated. Listen to me. I mean, it is not difficult. You have stopped praying. I mean, you've stopped praying the prayer of faith. And I'm here to tell you that if you resume, God's going to answer your prayer. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. It may not be next month. Amen. But he is a God of his word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, church, let's lift our hands to the Lord. He cut up.